Great to have you joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman, coming to you from Atlanta in November of 2022. And today we're going to be talking about environmental problems and solutions with the fashion industry, in particular, the wool industry. We talk a lot on this show about problems with raising and killing farmed animals for food, but the role of raising, killing, and processing farmed animals for fiber is often overlooked in environmental discourse. So today we talk with Stephanie Feldstein of the Center for Biological Diversity, who notes that from habitat de degrad degradation caused by grazing sheep to the chemicals used in scouring, the entire process of rearing sheep and turning shorn wool into usable fiber is riddled with threats to wildlife. And this is just in time for your winter fashion pur purchases. We'll, we'll discuss the Center for Biological Diversity's recent report entitled Sheer Destruction, explaining solutions we can enact as consumers as well as what the fashion industry should do. The Center for Biological Diversity is a leading wildlife conservation nonprofit that protects species and habitats. They believe that the welfare of human beings is deeply linked to nature, to the existence in our world of vast diversity of wild animals and plants. They want those who come after us to inherit a world where the wild is still alive. Their website is biologicaldiversity.org. Our guest tonight is Stephanie Feldstein, who is the co-author on the report we're gonna be talking about today. She's the Population and Sustainability Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, where she heads a national program that addresses the connection between human population growth, overconsumption, and the wildlife extinction crisis. Stephanie has a bachelor's degree from University of Michigan in creative writing, where she's won multiple awards for her poetry. She has more than 20 years of experience in animal rescue and advocacy, and when she's not advocating for animals or the future of our planet, Stephanie can usually be found working on her next book in the company of assorted rescued dogs and cats, which sounds like a great place to be. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me, Carrie. Well, Stephanie, what first clued you in on wool in particular needing to be the focus of your investigation, along with your report partners, the Collective Fashion Justice Group? That's a great question. I mean, we knew we wanted to start looking at sustainability in the fashion industry, in part because of its deep ties to animal agriculture and to the impact of raising animals for food. I mean, the two industries are really inseparable. But part of the reason that we focused in on wool is because, at least in the United States, when it comes to sheep, wool is the primary product, not the meat. The meat is more of a secondary product. So we knew that it would be a little bit easier to kind of focus in on what that meant for the fashion industry, as opposed to, you know, kind of the more complicated ties between, for instance, like leather and beef. And the other reason why we wanted to focus on wool is because wool in particular is so deeply greenwashed by the industry. I mean, you constantly see advertisements that wool is the sustainable, eco-friendly choice. And so we really wanted to break down why that's not the case. Yeah, and it's it's obvious that millions of sheep suffer and are harmed in the process of being sheared, bred, and killed in the wool and meat industry. So the sheep themselves suffer. Uh, which is why I stopped buying wool or any animal products several decades ago. But Stephanie, can you tell us about the report's findings about how wild animals are also harmed by the wool industry? Because the harm caused to wildlife is probably less obvious to anyone and really doesn't get talked about. Yeah, there are a number of ways. I mean, one, as grazing animals, I mean, sheep have an impact on vast 
vast amounts of wild places and the wild animals who live there. Um, sheep grazing requires a huge amount of land. They're often, you know, we see in the United States, sheep grazed on public lands. There was a study um, that looked at uh, wool production in Australia, which is the top wool producing country in the world. And that found that to produce a single bale of wool, it required 367 times more land than a bale of cotton. And of course, when we're talking about land, we're talking about wildlife habitat. On top of that, we see direct conflicts, uh, just like we see throughout the, uh, the production of animals for food, direct conflicts between sheep um, and, and sheep grazers and wildlife. Um, in particular with sheep, they can transmit a deadly disease to bighorn sheep in the wild. And we also see in the processing, because wool is not a fiber that is just shorn off of a sheep's back and then, you know, woven on the spot into a sweater. It's filled with grease and sweat and dirt and feces and vegetation. And it requires a huge amount of water and chemicals in order to clean all of that wool to make it into a usable fiber. So all of that, it's, you know, it's using water from the environment. And then there's a lot of wastewater and chemicals that then go back into the environment and harm wildlife. Yeah, I think I guess the water pollution angle was something I just wouldn't have thought of or because we I mean, most of us people would think like, oh, OK, it comes off the uh, the sheep's back and then they just sew it into my sweater or something like not that there's all the, that there's chemicals used and degreasers, which are actually pretty harmful chemicals. Yeah, absolutely. The amount of wool that like the weight of the wool that comes off of a sheep's back is only about 35, like, sorry, between 35 and 60% of that weight is contamination. So all of that is using these, um, you know, these highly toxic degreasing agents and other chemicals. It uses an enormous amount of hot water to scour it, which of course adds in that energy component as well. And there was one study we looked at that found that the amount of effluent or wastewater that comes out of this degreasing process is similar to the sewage from a town of 30,000 people. So that's just an enormous amount of wastewater being dumped into the environment. And can you talk a little bit more about the land use? Um, I know, especially in Australia, that would be a big part of their land use or the land that might have also been taken from um, Aboriginal people initially and then kind of filled with, you know, the colonizer's sheep. Uh, and so now it seems like it's a normal thing to have sheep there, but it really, it, you know, it, it isn't really what the land was meant for. And it, it kind of displaces all the other animals that would normally live there because if the ranchers don't want that intermingling. Um, and so then it's like, you have to clear the land of its natural inhabitants to put in these, you know, um, farmed animals. Right. We have this perception that like rolling hills of farmland is a natural landscape and it's not. I mean, that land was cleared of, you know, its original, the original habitat, the native vegetation, the animals who live there, as well, of course, the indigenous people who live there. So you're right. There's a huge component of colonialism related to this, particularly as we've seen um, the wool industry kind of take over in, in Australia. And, you know, every time there's every time land is converted 
either for, you know, grazing or to go crops to, you know, to feed animals that are being raised for food or fiber. We're seeing that loss of the richness of habitat and we're seeing other animals, wild animals being driven out of that habitat. And on top of that, when we see that graze, you know, that land conversion and grazing happening, it also degrades that land in terms of how that land can help fight climate change. Natural grasslands as well as forests are really important carbon sinks. So once that land is converted, it starts to release carbon into the air. It isn't as good as sequestering carbon. So it also contributes to our ability to really be able to um, to fight climate change on top of, of course, the emissions that are coming from the animals themselves. So there, when land, land is such a key component to protecting biodiversity. And when it is destroyed or even degraded by animals like sheep that are grazing on it, it has a huge ripple effect really, you know, across the ecosystem. And, and Stephanie, I, I liked at the kind of toward the end of your report, you were mentioning about um, the transitioning that um, farmers could make, which I always think is a very um, sensitive and fair and humane component to um, any of the animal protection or environmental protection measures to think like, okay, if someone's livelihood needs to be replaced because that they're making their living off of something that is really not sustainable, um, then, you know, what's a, what are some ways that they could reuse the land, you know, that they have, or I know it could be rewilded. And there was an example that you had, I think, in Perth of a lot of, of a former sheep farm being rewilded. Yeah, I mean, we are sensitive to the fact that this is people's livelihoods and their way of life. But for a lot of folks, they're not necessarily specifically attached to, you know, raising sheep any more than they would be if they were, you know, growing corn or growing a more sustainable crop to more directly feed yeah. people. It, you know, but it is when it's somebody's way of life, we do need to be sensitive that it takes additional capital and additional yeah. training and technical assistance to help people transition into, um, you know, into a more sustainable field. And the great thing about, you know, just like when we're talking about raising animals for food, that if we're able to help folks transition into, you know, farming food directly to feed people, farming more sustainable crops, it winds up using less land as well, which means yeah. that there's more land that can then be given back to nature, for example. Um, you know, we've also seen a few folks in the, you know, in the um, animal agriculture world convert their land to sanctuary so that at least for now they're able to help their animals live out their life. And usually when we see with animal sanctuaries, they tend to be a lot more wildlife conscious than, yeah. you know, when you see people who are raising animals as a commodity for food or fiber. So that's another option that we sometimes see as, as part of that transition. And for some folks, it might be moving entirely out of the farming field, you know, once they're given an opportunity to do something different. Yeah, like I was excited to see that that land uh, north of Perth, I think it was in um, Australia, now has all kinds of, it has a wetland on it. And, you know, that used to be a, an area that was just raising sheep. And now there's all different kinds of species there. You know, that yeah, it's it amazing how yeah. ecosystems can recover once these invasive species like sheep, like domesticated sheep are removed off the land. I mean, it's, yeah. it's incredible to watch the, the habitat come back, to watch wild plants take root again and to watch, you know, wild animals come in, you really get to see those, those ecosystems kind of reformulating themselves and healing. Yeah. 
If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman talking with Stephanie Feldstein, who's the Population and Sustainability Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, discussing their report that Stephanie co-authored on the wool industry. And the report is called Sheer Destruction, Wool, Fashion, and the Biodiversity Crisis. The report can be found on their website, biologicaldiversity.org. And actually, I think it, people will really enjoy the report because the artwork and the illustrations in the report are gorgeous and they're really creative. And so even though the report is covering something very serious and and, and sad, it, the artwork is not, it's not like bloody or, it, it, I don't know, it really complements the report in just a really unique way. Yeah, we're really excited to have the opportunity to work with an artist um, named Ari Leloyan, who is able to create these images that, you know, represented not just the problem in a way that creatively, you know, illustrates the connection between wool production and its impact on wildlife and wild lands, but also, you know, I think in a bright way that shows that there are better alternatives, that there is a better future here that we can work toward. Right. It, yes, it was a really creative kind of symbolic way to express, you know, the the problems and solutions. But and speaking of solutions, Stephanie, in terms of the solutions, the Sheer Destruction Report proposes five things that the fashion industry should do. Can you tell us about those industry solutions? Absolutely. So the first one is we're calling on fashion industry brands, certifiers, as well as associations to update their sustainability language mm -hmm. to acknowledge the harms to biodiversity that's caused by wool production. And so often we see, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, that we see wool being presented as this eco-friendly, sustainable option for folks. And again, that's just not the case. And so we want to see that sustainability language acknowledge all of these inputs we've been talking about, all of these things that go into producing wool, the land that's taken away from wildlife, the direct harms to wildlife, the pollution, so that folks have a clearer picture of wool's role actually in the future of sustainable fashion. And that could be so, like on their on their websites and especially in their environmental um, or like social responsibility reports that the annual reports that each company produces. Yeah, absolutely. It should be start part of their annual reports, acknowledging that as well as acknowledging any steps that they are taking to reduce those impacts, um, as well as a big part is dialing back the language that they're using that's falsely positioning, positioning wool as a sustainable fabric. And there are also um, certifications within the industry that you know, that have almost no standards for wool that say, you know, this is an eco-friendly material just based on it being wool. And so asking them to also, you know, kind of re-examine those certifications and, and what they're asking before they're allowing that eco-friendly label to be slapped on these fibers. Yeah. And the second uh, one deals with phasing out or reducing wool in, in, um, in, in terms of the textiles that are chosen by uh, manufact clothing manufacturers, right? Yes, because, you know, there's no amount of, at the current, the current volume that wool is produced, there is no way to make it more sustainable. Mm -hmm. So what we ultimately need to see is a reduction in the amount of wool that's going into these clothing brands. And that's yeah. something that is tied into, you know, of course, not just what fibers they're choosing, but that also really ties into, you know, the whole problem of fast fashion and just 
the sheer absurd amount of clothing that's produced every single year. And it's also tied into, you know, urging companies to kind of rethink, you know, that that whole approach to their brands and in producing, you know, less, more thoughtful clothing. Part of that is also using less wool in favor of more actually sustainable fibers. Right. That kind of reminds me of the the mandate that we all just really have to reduce meat consumption. Similarly, another problem with farmed animals, like we can't just figure out some way to keep eating the same amount of animal products and have it work out sustainability from a sustainability standpoint. So the same is true for farming animals for their fiber in this case, you know, that we need to reduce. Yeah, exactly. And then let's see, your third one deals with um, like alternative, like research and development for alternative uh, um, fibers. Yes, there's there are already some great fibers on the market that are good alternatives for wool. You know, for when you're looking for warmer clothing, there are some, you know, beautiful like organic cotton sweaters that are available. But, you know, if people are looking for like the performance of wool in terms of, you know, being kind of more of a moisture wicking kind of material, there are, um, you know, plant fiber plant-based fibers such as bamboo and, and tensile, which, you know, have those similar properties. So there are some properties, some fibers out there that exist, but there's always room for more innovation here in order to meet the needs of, you know, the performance and, you know, and the aesthetics that people are looking for. And there just hasn't been enough that's been invested in that because the industry has pretty much said that, you know, wool, we're going to call that our eco-friendly fiber. And then the only other alternative is these fossil fuel based fibers like polyester and acrylic. And that's not the case. We absolutely should be moving away from these fossil fuel based fibers as well, because they come with their own host of problems. So let's look for solutions that are truly sustainable. And there needs to be more of an investment in that. Definitely. And as a final question, Stephanie, for listeners who are interested in helping and want to be eco and animal friendly in their own fashion choices and in gift giving, what does the Sheer Destruction Report uh, recommend for us as consumers and citizens? Well, the number one thing, you know, that's related to like we were talking about earlier that we all kind of need to scale back is that the most sustainable materials you own are the ones already in your closet. So <laughs> if you have a, you know, beloved Nordic wool sweater, you know, we've heard some from some of our supporters that are like, I don't want to get rid of this. And it's like, don't. If you've had this sweater that you love and you've been wearing it for the past 40 years and it's still in beautiful shape, use it, enjoy it, care for the garments that you have. Like not buying things you don't need is going to be the best thing that you can do. And then second, when you are looking to buy new new clothing, choose fabrics that aren't derived from animals or that aren't derived from fossil fuels. Look for the fibers that have those organic cottons, the you know, hemp, the bamboo, the tensile. And I mean, I think a lot of people might be surprised to see just how, uh, you know, how more frequently these products are, these fibers are being used and really how beautiful so many of them are. And can you remind us what other, when you talk about um, coming from fossil fuels, other um, types, of, what, what should we be avoiding besides wool? So polyester, Okay. And acrylic and nylon are the most common ones that you see. And so, yeah, most of us wouldn't know, like it doesn't seem obvious, like, oh, wait a minute, fossil fuels are going into these other, so that uh, 
just like fossil fuels go into plastic as well. But, um, and that also, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but you know how there's a lot of um, fashion now is saying that it's like these socks are made of um, recycled, you know, plastic or something. Is, is that a good thing to do to, because it seems like it is, but um, I didn't know if that was part of your report or if you looked at that kind of that trend towards using recycled plastic as a material. Yeah, we do. Um, I think we did touch on that a little bit and recycled is definitely better than the virgin materials, yeah. but in terms of long-term solutions, we really need that innovation that comes from better virgin materials because otherwise we run into, if we're creating a market for fossil fuel-based fibers and other plastics right. to just be turned into something else, we're still ultimately supporting that original market that's allowing those to be yeah, produced in the first to, place. We have to be phasing out plastic in its current, you know, the way that it's composed today. So I, I see your point. Right. And, and realistically, textiles and plastics have a very low rate of recycling. Mm. Um, you know, plastics, there's it's in the single digits. It's like two to 5% of plastic is yeah. recycled. It's, it's very low. So when you see that it can give it a little bit of a halo effect, like plastic is going somewhere good, but ultimately it's still tied into that, that dirty industry. So we need to move toward, you know, these industries that really are friendlier to the environment and to animals. Yeah. Like I remember you said you had a, um, a, a statistic related to cotton, like over 300 and something it's 300 something times more sustainable in terms of its land use, um, cotton than wool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to creating a bale of cotton uses 367 times less land than a bale wow. of wool. That is amazing. That is huge. Yeah. yeah. And then we could also get involved too by just as when we go to a store, telling the store that we don't we would like them to not use wool and, and offer more of these alternative products. So like if we're having trouble finding organic cop cotton, or you mentioned tinsel or bamboo, like we could actually say like, Hey, I like shopping here, banana Republic or whatever. I'm, I'm picking them on them because they have so much wool as a vegan. I know these things because I'm like, well, I can't buy any of your sweaters, you know, like you don't sell anything I can buy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as customers, we have a really powerful voice with these companies. So yeah, I mean, you know, as they say, vote with your wallet. So when you're able to find the companies that are producing the types of products that you want to support, and if those aren't available or accessible to you, or you do have a favorite brand where you're like, your clothing is really beautiful. I'd love to wear it, but let yeah. them know that. Yeah. And I know one of your solutions is also pushing back against wool greenwashing how can we do that? Is that something we could do like through social media or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have, you know, a number of social media graphics that are available, but also you don't even need to get that fancy. Some of it is just calling out these brands when you see, like you'll see now since, you know, there's so many, you know, advertisements for winter clothing and yeah. the fall and winter catalogs, you know, when you see things that are labeled as, oh, this is an eco-friendly wool product, call them out on it, post on social media, tag the company and say, you know, share our report with them and say, that's not the case. Like you're leaving out a big part of the story here. Is there like a shorter link to get to your report or do people need to go to biologicaldiversity.org and then kind of go into the sustainability tab and then get to your report? 
If you go to just sheerdestruction.com, oh. that will take you to our report on okay. our partner Collective Fashion Justice's website. So you can read the report and get all the same information just by going to sheerdestruction.com. Okay, and that's S-H-E-A-R. Yes. Sheer destruction. It's kind of a pun. Dot uh, com. That's good because in terms of like using social media, if you want to, if you're posting a comment, you know, it's kind of nice if you have that quick link of sheerdestruction.com to say like, hey, read this report. That way I don't have to tell you all. I mean, the report, I was just astounded by how much detail it has in it. And, uh, and just so much nuance to the variety of issues um, facing humans and non-humans. And so I think um, sharing the report, um, you know, through social media is kind of a good way to go about things. And I also just like your original idea, um, Stephanie, of just us purchasing fewer clothes, <laughs> because actually the the show I'm going to have um, on In Tune to Nature after I play, you know, this one right now um, is going to deal with uh, eco-friendly gift giving. And that's always a big part of it, like shop at thrift stores or some, you know, or consignment shops or something like that or recycle the clothes that you have into something else by using some creativity and making them into pillows or whatever. Just like there's a lot we can do with what we have instead of constantly demanding everything be newly produced. Yeah, and I feel like so many of us can just even shop in our closets before we yeah. shop secondhand or you know, have a clothing swap with friends. Yeah. I feel like a lot of us have things that we bought and then forgot about and really digging deep in your closet and seeing what you already have and learning to love it again can go a long way. Or like I noticed there's like um, online, there's little shopping apps now like Poshmark and other thing where regular people are just, or you could do that through Etsy and stuff too, um, or eBay, just selling your own stuff that maybe you're not interested in anymore. Somebody else could wear it and then you might buy something from them that they're not wearing. So similar to that clothing swap with your neighbors, you could also use social media <laughs> to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many tools out there that can, you know, that can help you swap clothes, shop secondhand for clothes. Like, so even if you don't have, you know, a great thrift store in your neighborhood, there are still a lot of ways to be able to do it online. Yeah. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Stephanie Feldstein, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for the work that you do at the Center for Biological Diversity to help protect all of us human and non-human animals and our shared habitats on planet Earth. Thanks again for having me and for, you know, and for featuring this important issue. Yeah, take care. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board, staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>